so uh, there were these guys down in Egypt <laughs> who were slaves and God came and he took them out with great miracles and plagues and signs and wonders and the whole world saw or the whole world knew that this was the finger of God the hand of God the early idolaters even the early primitive idolaters the ones who we think were half human half animal really had a quite sophisticated philosophy about their idols it wasn't just make me a statue I'll bow to it the philosophy was that God created the world and everything in it but it's not proper it's not fitting that a king should be involved in the details of running a country so the king is the king of the whole country but he doesn't pick up garbage on Wednesdays he hi he hires somebody to pick up the garbage or if, uh, if a road needs fixing he doesn't go fix it he hires somebody to fix it so a king appoints generals that they should take care of the various parts of the kingdom and he sits in his palace and does kingly things whatever that is <coughs> and the same is true with God <coughs> that God is the creator of the whole world but when he created the world he gave his generals the authority to run the world and those generals are basically the stars the uh, astrological uh, signs and configurations and that's what runs the world and God is in heaven and he left earth in the hands of capable generals who the sun the moon the stars the planets the constellations and so on and therefore when a human being needs something or wants something or is in trouble you can't go to God God is gone he did his job already and he left now if you want to talk to somebody in charge you got to talk to the manager you can't talk to the creator so you talk to the manager so if you're upset it's because the man if you're if you're in, if you're failing if you're suffering it's because the manager doesn't like you so offer up a sacrifice to the Sun or to the moon or to whatever planet that is responsible for your well-being and and that'll fix your problem so basically the idolaters didn't say make me a statue out of this tree and I'll think it's God and I'll bow to it they knew that God was God and that the creator of the world was infinite and that he was invisible and that he was in heaven and that he was but precisely for that reason they also believe that you can't talk to him that he has nothing to do with what's going on here it's beneath him to get involved in such things and so he put all this in in the hands of his generals <clears throat> so the expression was Ozav Hashem God created the world but he left what is he gonna do take care of every petty detail he created it and now it's got to take care of itself how is it gonna take care of itself 
the stars are put in charge. Each star is in control of something that goes on on Earth, and that's the way it is. And that's why even generations later, if we're talking about Christians, for example, the expression in, in, in Torah would still be those who worship the stars and the constellations. So wait a minute, they don't worship stars anymore. They're worshiping what's his name? But it's the same idea. The idea is that God is not involved directly with the affairs of the world. Somebody else is in charge that he repre that represents him. That, uh, that, he, that God, whom God appointed, whom God gave the authority. And you don't talk to God. You want to talk to your, to your source or to your connection above, you got to talk to the general, not to God. And Christianity comes along and says that there's no way to the Father but through me. So you can't go to the Father directly. You got to go through something else. So it's the same idea that God is higher then involvement in the petty affairs of the earth <clears throat> and those things are under the control of the generals the monitors <clears throat> the truth of course is that since God is not great and big and smart God is God. Therefore, there's no such thing. It's totally irrelevant and inappropriate when we're speaking of God to say big things and little things. The whole idea of saying that God is involved in big things, not in little things, is, is thinking of God in our own finite, limited human terms. A human being who has only so much energy and only so much talent, he has to make a choice. You can't do everything, so what are you going to do? The big things or the little things? <laughs> of course, you can do the big things. Little things you have no time for. But that's only because we are finite creatures. Since we're finite creatures, we have to choose the most important thing and neglect the rest, because we don't have time for everything. But that's, that's, that's ridiculous to say that about God. To say that, yeah, God created the world, because that's a big job. That's for him. But little jobs, he leaves for somebody else. Why does he leave it for somebody else? He has no time. Doesn't have so much energy. What does that mean? To say, no, he could do it. He has the time. He has the energy. But it's beneath him. It's pastnished. It's beneath him. He doesn't want to degrade himself. Here, too, the argument doesn't fit at all and doesn't make any sense because in creating the world, God degraded himself as much as, as, much as he possibly could. He said, no, 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 creating the world, I mean, that's, that's big stuff. That's impressive. But to clean up the garbage every afternoon, that's beneath him. To God, creating the mess and cleaning it up is really the same thing. Creating the world is not any more impressive and not any more appropriate for God than to clean up after somebody. We're impressed with creation. God is not impressed with creation. So to him, as it says in Kabbalah, that the fact that God created the world, that's not what God is all about. 
On the contrary, lav urcha de malka lishtoi b'milad hadyaita. It is not uh, customary for a king to be involved in menial tasks. So for God to create the world was a menial task. And to say that this is the main part of God, nothing of the sort. So in creating the world, God lowered himself infinitely. So the truth is that God is very much on earth, in earth, involved in all earthy affairs, running the world by himself. He doesn't appoint anybody. But the world didn't know this. Avraham was an exception. He taught a few people. Most people didn't believe it. Even the few people he taught could not convincingly transmit it to their children. And so those people eventually died out, and again there was nobody who believed it. Or it was down to Yaakov and his children again. And even his children weren't quite sure what this was all about. Because they also believed that God is not in the physical world. And that's why they had to be shepherds. But Yosef believed it. And that's why he said, no, you don't have to be a shepherd. You can be a king of Egypt and be a tzaddik. And they said, oh yeah? Let's find out. So they sold him. And he proved that, 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 that it's true. You can be in Egypt, be the viceroy of Egypt, and be a tzaddik. So they all moved down to Egypt. And that's when they got trapped into the slavery and had to be taken out through these miracles. What happened when these miracles occurred was that the people realized that God, in fact, does run the world. Where they had thought that the fate of Egypt lies in the hands of its constellation and Egypt was under the constellation of the, la of the lamb, the sheep so the Egyptians worshipped the sheep because that was their sign that's why before the Jews left Egypt they were commanded to take a sheep and to shecht it in, in full view of the Egyptians. So, until then, people had believed that it was the ram, it was the sheep sign that controlled the destiny and the fate of Egypt. And here God came along and personally changed the fate from what it was supposed to be according to the stars. So the people saw that God did in fact intervene in worldly affairs and didn't leave things to the stars. But the reason they believed this was because that's the explanation that Moshe gave them. Every time there was a plague over Egypt, Moshe said, it's because you're not letting the Jews go. God is angry at you. So he would come to Pharaoh and say, all right, you had enough? Two plagues is enough? Not enough, I'll give you a third one. Until you let the Jews go. So Moshe kept reminding them that these plagues and these miracles and these 
awesome things were happening to them because the God of Israel was angry about his children. When the Jews came out of Egypt and a number of Egyptians, primarily their, their astrologers and their sorcerers and their uh, witch doctors, joined the Jews and left Egypt with them. Later, we, are, we would refer to them as the riffraff, which is really not a good, uh, a good description. Erev Rav means a multitude of the great. In other words, the greatest Egyptians, the, the leaders, the, the witch doctors, left Egypt with the Jews and traveled with the Jews. When it came, when they came to Mount Sinai, and Moshe says, I'm going up to the mountain. And I'll be down in 40 days. And they miscalculated. And thought that the 40 days were up on the 39th day. And Moshe didn't come down. They panicked. And they said, maybe Moshe was wrong after all. Maybe his explanation of what had happened or why it had happened to Egypt was really wrong. And, the, and God really doesn't get involved in worldly, thing, in worldly affairs. And that what happened to Egypt was not that God intervened. What happened was the stars collided. That there was a conflict among the stars, among the signs. Which is the sign next to the ram? Taurus. The bull. So they, so they, they explained the destruction and the devastation of Egypt on the bull, because the because the the constellation, which was which represented by a bull, overcame the constellation represented by a ram, and that's why Egypt was destroyed. So what did they do? They made a golden cow. And they said, this is the God that took you out of Egypt. They didn't mean that this is the God that created the world. They weren't idiots. They were just plain stupid. <laughs> so they said, this is what took you out of Egypt, because this is what destroyed the Egyptians. The sign of the bull overcame the sign of the, of the, of the ram. I don't know. I don't know why they why they worship the sheep instead of the ram. I know they switched. I don't know. Actually, it wasn't really a cow either. It was a calf, so it could have been a bull. No. Can be either male or female, no? As a matter of fact, in Tilim, when David Amelech is describing those events, he says that the Jews in the desert embarrassed themselves by exchanging God for a bull that ate grass. So it is called a bull. Show you. But the women did not contribute to to the making of the golden calf. Why? Actually, I think that historically, women tend to be involved with 
the the occult the um, what is that called astrology and things of that sort more than men and yet here the women refuse to participate in this to the Mishkan not to the calf to the Mishkan um, a woman's neshama uh, comes into the world through the attribute of malchus of royalty whereas the male neshama comes into this world from one of the six emotions divine emotions but not from the attribute of royalty um, the female attributes are basically two one is Bina and the other is Malchus Bina is the second of the ten attributes Malchus is the last of the ten attributes if you're going in a in a straight line from top to bottom Bina is called the mother and Malchus is called the daughter those are the two feminine traits in the divine attributes says about um, about Leah we were talking about it yesterday it says about Leah that no, let's start from the beginning in God's name there are four letters a Yud and a Vav and two He's the first He is called the big He the second hay is called the small hay. Concerning Leah, it says, Shame Hagdala, the name of the big one, of the big sister, was Leah. In the Zohar, it says, Shame Hagdala means not the name of the big sister, the name of the big hay. Hagdala. The hay Gdala, the big hay. In other words, Bina. The name of Bina was Leah. In other words, Leah represented Bina. Vishem Haktana, and the name of the small Hay was was Rachel. Because Rachel represented Malchus. And that's where her that's why her son was the 
ruler of Egypt. Royalty. Then it says later on that Leah gave birth to six sons. Because from Bina, you get six emotions, right? The emotions are born from Chachma and Bina. So Leah was the mother of six sons. And from those six emotions, male souls are born. So it says, Violda Leah Shishabonim. Leah gave birth to six sons. Viachakach, and after that, she gave birth to a daughter. So altogether, seven, because there are seven children born to intellect. Altogether, there are ten powers three intellectual, seven emotion. But the seventh emotion is different from the first six. The first six are masculine. And the seventh is feminine. So that's why it says, and then a separate thing happened. She gave birth to a daughter. Because the seventh attribute of, this, of the emotions is feminine. And she called her, her daughter, she called her Dina. Dina means royalty. Mm-hmm. But one of them is dominant. And what they what they all have in common is the fact that they're masculine. They're aggressive. The point of the whole thing is that Malchus is the feminine trait, sometimes called daughter, and it is the final attribute of the ten attributes. So when God creates the world, his first impulse is Chachma. Second impulse is Bina. From there it becomes Das. Then it becomes kindness. Then it becomes severity. So on and so on and so on. Until finally it comes to Malchus. And with Malchus, he actually creates. Which means to say that Malchus is that point where God steps out of himself and gets involved with creation. Until then, God is within himself getting ready to create. He thinks about creating. He wants to create. He feels good about it. But then actually doing it, that's Malchus. And therefore, Malchus has two parts. There's that part of Malchus where God has not yet gotten involved with creation. He is about to. And then there's that part of Malchus in which he's actually involved in creating. That's why in a woman, there's a time when she can create and a time she can't create. Because there are two halves to Malchus. One is still being within yourself, and one is stepping outside yourself.
the soul that comes from one of the six attributes can and often does have a problem seeing God in creation because these attributes are pre-creation attributes so if your soul comes from there you can't imagine God being involved in creation and so you're tempted to believe that God stays in heaven and the world is run by uh, by his generals but the soul that comes from Malchus and Malchus is that place in which God actually gets involved in creation therefore even if you don't know consciously that God is involved in the world and so on but your soul knows it so that unconsciously you're aware what are you aware of? Not other parts of God, as much as you're aware of the fact that God is involved in creation. God the Creator. Therefore, in, when it comes to the question of whether God runs the world, God's involvement in the world, a woman doesn't have the, uh, the doubt or the... Uh, uncertainty that a man has concerning God's ruling the world which is basically Malchus since the woman's soul comes from Malchus she has no doubts about God being the king of the world whereas because a man's soul comes from other attributes before Malchus in other words on that level you don't see God creating you only see God being himself Therefore, that soul, when it comes down to earth, could find it hard to believe that God was involved in this activity. So the men made a golden calf because they decided that God wasn't, in fact, responsible for what had happened to Egypt, that the, that the constellations did it, that nature did it. And nature is God's general who is put in charge of all the dirty work. But God himself doesn't involve himself in the dirty work. And therefore they made the golden cow, the golden calf, because that was the sign that they believed had overcome the sign of the ram, which was the sign of Egypt. This attribute of Malchus is also expressed the male and female origins exp are expressed also in the sun and in the moon. The sun is the masculine and the moon is the feminine. The sun represents Bina, uh, represents the, uh, the six emotions, and the moon represents Malchus. That's why the moon also has times when it shines and times when it's dark. Because Malchus is made up of two halves. The half that stays within God and the half that comes out. <coughs> but that is why Rishchidosh, the beginning of a new month, 
is a holiday for women. Why is it a holiday for women? So there's a custom that women don't do certain work on Rosh Chodesh. Because they didn't participate in the in the in the golden calf, therefore they they have this uh, holiday of Rosh Chodesh. So it's related to the same thing because it also because the neshama, a woman's neshama, comes from the attribute of of malchus, and malchus is represented by the moon, and not by the sun. Therefore, a woman's yomtiv isn't determined by seasons, which is up to the sun, but is determined by months, which is up to the moon. So whenever the moon starts a new cycle, that's a holiday for a woman, because that's the renewal of malchus. In its being born, in its coming down that particular time, it came through Malchus and not through the others. At another time, it can come through another. So when you say coming through Malchus, what Malchus? Through the divine attribute of Malchus as it exists in God prior to creation. As a matter of fact, um, Every neshama has to do all mitzvahs. So the neshama that is a woman in one life needs to have been or to be a male in another life in order to have all the mitzvahs. No. A neshama is neither male nor female. Essentially, a neshama is neither male nor female. It just depends on what it's born into. That's if we're speaking specifically. If we speak more generally, the Jewish year, the Jewish calendar, is a lunar calendar, whereas the non-Jewish year is a solar calendar. So Jews in general relate more to the moon than to the sun. Everything. Everything goes according to the months. And that's why for Jews also there are times when we are up and there are times when we're down. Golus Gaula, Golus Gaula. Exile and redemption. Back to exile, back to redemption. And then the moon will go back to its full size. Huh? The sun will be dwarfed by the moon. So, um,. When Mashiach comes, Jews will no longer be uh, subject to change and to upheavals. 
just as the sun will no longer be given to change. The moon. I say the sun? The moon. Know. Maybe that's why all souls will have been born by then. I don't know. Or not. Th- or not through cycles. When uh, when Chava had her children, it was without cycles until after she ate from the tree. But one day, within one hour. So right now, what is the difference between the sun and the moon? Besides, besides the uh, the size, the difference between the sun and the moon is that the sun is its own light, whereas the moon is a reflection. So the moon gets its light from the sun, and then reflects it to the earth. And that basically is the position of Malchus. Malchus receives from all the attributes preceding it and then gives it to the creation so half of Malchus is busy receiving half of Malchus is busy giving when the moon is full it receives totally and gives totally when the moon is not full it's only receiving a little bit, so it can only give a little bit. So being a wife and being a mother are really very closely related. Uh, there's, the, there's the attitude or the belief that a woman can decide for herself that she really doesn't care to be married, she just wants to have children. So, you know, if she has to get married to have children, fine, she'll get married. But really, she's just interested in the children. In other words, she's not interested in being a wife as much as she's interested in being a mother. But that can't work. Why? For the same, for the same reason that you can't have a virgin birth. <laughs> you, can't have a mo- you can't become a mother without first being a wife. In other words, you can't give without receiving. The capacity to give is always commensurate with the capacity to receive. So, until Mashiach, until after Mashiach comes, the sun doesn't receive from anything. It's its own light. And it gives its own light. But the moon receives from the sun and gives to the earth. That's why the um, symbolically the sun illuminates the day, but the moon illuminates the night. Because to illuminate the night is, is, is more difficult. It doesn't change the night into day, but it illuminates the night. In other words, it shines when everything else is dark. Whereas the sun can only shine when it's when it's uh, when it's uh, when the world is bright. <laughs>
when it's time to shine. This, the moon shines even when it's time to be dark. And that also is the fate of the Jew. Every nation shines when it's their time to shine. If it's their time to shine, everybody can be great. Every nation has its time. And during that time, every nation is wonderful. The miracle of the Jew is that even when it's not our time to shine, we still illuminate the world. Even when everything around us is dark, we still, we're still, we are still bright. And that's because we're not limited to our own light. We're not giving what we are. We're giving what we get. And what we get can't be restricted by night or day. So the more we're open to receiving, the more capable we are of giving. And that, I mean, that, it's even almost so simple that it shouldn't even have to be said once you put it into simple words. To give means to go out of yourself. To receive means to go out of yourself. So if you're good at it, then you're good at it. If you're not good at it, you're not good at it. If you're good at it, you're good at both ends. And if you're not good at it, you're not good at either end. Now, if you're not open enough to receive, why should you be open enough to give? If you're too defensive and too protective of yourself to allow yourself to receive, then you're also too protective of yourself to allow yourself to give. It's sometimes difficult to define exactly what giving is and what taking is. Um, the mother who gives and gives and gives and smothers the child, is she giving or is she taking? Or neither? You say mothering is instinctive, but that's only if, that's only if, when being a woman is a natural instinct, then being a mother is a natural instinct. And then being a wife is a natural instinct. But when being a wife is not a natural instinct, and being a, a woman, well, maybe, maybe not. So why, should the, so why should the mothering instinct be healthy? I mean, you, can, you, can't, you can't pick and choose. If the feminine trait is healthy, then it's healthy all around. If it's not healthy, then it's not healthy. Although it can be a little more healthy in one area than the other, but basically... So, a woman who says, at the age of uh, 46, that uh, her biological clock is ticking away, and uh, she's not going to spend the rest of her life without a child, she's going to go out and have a child. But she doesn't want a husband. All right? So I say, ah, the mothering, the maternal instinct has finally become strong in her and she needs to have a child, she needs to be a mother. Does she need to be a mother? So what's moving her? What's motivating her to have a child? Not necessarily. But if a, mo if a woman is saying, 
I must have a child. I, ha- I have to be a mother. I have to take care of a child. I got to nurture something. How can you... Th- there's, a, there's a contradiction there somewhere. If you're concerned with nurturing a child, you would think that the first consideration, the first worry, the first concern for the child is to give it a father. But to say, forget the father, forget the husband, I don't want that. I just want a child. Are you thinking of the you're, you're thinking of the child, or are you thinking of yourself? You're obviously not concerned with the welfare of the child. You're not even going to give him a father. Not even an attempt at a father. <laughs> you can never guarantee that the father is going to stay. Okay, but but try, give the kid a chance. Say no, I don't want no my husband. I don't want to complicate my life. Complicate your life. The kid needs a father. No, oh, too complicated with my life. Then obviously you're not concerned for the child. So although on some level, any time a woman wants to have a child, I mean there must be some maternal instinct there. But the maternal instinct is so buried under the narcissism of me first. And I've been first all along. I decided whatever I wanted to do, I was going to do. And now I'm deciding that I want a child with me first. The same narcissism that for 47 years told her not to have children, that same narcissistic impulse is now telling her, go ahead, have one. Help yourself to a child. Don't give it a father, don't give it a home, but help yourself to a child. Because later you're going to regret it. So it's totally self-serving. And again, the idea is that if you can't open yourself up on one side, then, then how can you really be open on the other? So that even though the maternal instinct is screaming, but, but you can't really open yourself to it. So to do what needs to be done for the child, can't do that. You've got to protect your own space. Why are you into protecting your own space? Because you've been protecting it from the other side. You've been closed off to receiving. You're closed off to giving because protective is protective. Defensive is defensive. So the virtue of Malchus is that because it receives, it is capable of giving even when giving is difficult. All the attributes give. That's what an attribute is. It's an expression. But when the expression is appropriate. When it's not appropriate, then there's nothing. Malchus, on the other hand, doesn't have such a restriction. Malchus always gives. Why? Because Malchus always receives. So the waning of the of the moon and then the renewal of the moon can really be seen as you give everything you have then you have to go back and receive again so you have to stop giving for a moment you got to go back and receive when you've received then you stop receiving for a moment then you give and it goes back and forth like this <laughs> 